0: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit Douglas.ca slash Canadaland to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash Canadaland. to help Cam H treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Sonos, makers of the new Sonos Beam. This is a smart, compact soundbar for your TV. It is compatible with Amazon Alexa. For easy voice control, it delivers crystal clear, richly detailed sound. Pre-order the Sonos Beam now at sonos.com. Start your home sound system today. And this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Every week, HelloFresh makes delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take about 30 minutes for everybody, whether you love to cook or whether you are a novice cook, you'll get 50% off of your first box when you go to hellofresh.ca CanadaLand. Use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. Field notes from a catastrophe in progress. Um, I will try. To, I'll try to make some sense of some things I'm thinking about. I went to a party last night. I uh, I, I always have misgivings about going to these journalism gala things. I went to the Canadian Journalism Foundation's uh, annual awards. But it's good that I went. You always learn something when you go. It's awkward for me. You have to understand, you know, bumping into, you know, Kevin Donovan and and Simon Haupt from the Globe and Mail and uh, they're honoring Peter Mansbridge with a Lifetime Achievement Award. I went and and it's a good thing that I went. I learned things um, and I went on the day that that earlier in that day, they announced that uh, a third of Rogers Publishing uh, was gone, was was laid off. And that included Chatelaine. Like, kind of Chatelaine is done. I don't know what they're going to do with it now. They laid off Sarah Bosfeld, who who distinguished herself with her reporting during the Gameshi trial and a bunch of other stories. And, and I mean, Chatelaine in general has had this amazing Renaissance under Leanne George, where I don't know, they kind of went the woke route of like teen Vogue of like, you think it's one way, but we're actually going to do serious stuff. And it wasn't just branding. They did it well. And it didn't matter. It, it didn't matter because it, the journalism doesn't matter in the face of, of the, of the catastrophe of the wins and the fact that Rogers doesn't give a shit. And, and they're not really in the publishing business anymore. I don't know why they keep these things around just to, kill them so slowly but you wouldn't know you would think that, that 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 night with everybody together in the same room it would be a mournful vibe and there would be some recognition of that not really I, I was alluded to at times this was a, a gala we were celebrating each other and giving each other awards and it's good to go because you learn things I learned that uh, BuzzFeed Canada is is gone. I mean, it's still there. There's still an office. There's still people at BuzzFeed uh, working, but they're not working on Canada. You know, uh, this was a couple of years ago. This was part of the, the new guard was that BuzzFeed had, had reporters in Ottawa and they'd set up shop here in Toronto and they had a bunch of really good people working. But that whole team... Of of uh, former Canada and editor Jane Litvinenko and and Craig Silverman and Lawrence Tropigale and Sachi and Ishmael and everybody over there and uh, Elamine they, they they don't cover Canada anymore I mean they do like sometimes if they feel like it but it's not anyone's job the first thing was they pulled their Ottawa reporters you remember that and then and now no one is really on the beat of Canada at BuzzFeed so there is that doesn't exist really and there were Vice people there and I don't know what's going on there it's in some weird holding pattern and you. You know, they're trying to just stop a total catastrophe and they gave everybody promotions and raises. But, you know, they're all polishing their resumes and waiting for the other shoe to drop. Everything is is really in rough shape. I found out, you know, like Toronto Star, they got rid of their internship program and there's like three demoralized interns left. No no jobs waiting for them, I don't believe, at the other end of that internship. Those three interns are the Toronto Star's breaking news department. OK, so anything that happens this summer, those three demoralized interns, that that, that is the biggest newspaper in the country. That's the breaking news department. So it's grim. It's grim. It's desolate. And, and, you know, what else is new? Right. When can you go to a Canadian journalism event when it doesn't feel like that is the in the background is doom and gloom and we just make gallows humor jokes about it? And, and in fact, it's not even like we're in pain and ignoring it. We're kind of distracted with this manic energy you wouldn't know that anything bad is happening because it's actually never been more exciting. I mean, it is just a thrill a minute. If you are into this kind of stuff, if you are looking for what's, what's happening next, if you are a news junkie, if you're in this business, these are the best of times, right? I mean, Doug Ford, I mean, after that, like head spinning election, where just thrill a minute, right? All the twists and turns and now, what a gift. What a gift to the Toronto Star. Doug, for I mean, just sorting through the scandals that came out during the campaign is is enough for another year's worth of headlines. And public interest in this stuff has never been higher. It does not feel like some kind of graveyard. It feels very exciting. It feels very exciting, of course, because right now we're in the midst. Forget Ontario. We are in the in world news right now. Canada is where it's at, and everybody is getting. You know, our doors are getting banged down with with American editors, big publications, and shows. They want commentary, think pieces. They want our gossip. They want our scandals. Scandals that we won't even run in our own press. Well, you know, that doesn't stop Breitbart from picking it up. And then, and then I found out, you know, you remember this, the story, the Justin Trudeau uh, groping allegation that surfaced. I was critical of Catherine Porter in the New York Times because like she had this report where she suggested very directly in her lead that there was a connection between that story surfacing when it did and the G7. And so I had opportunity at this event to ask her, like, so do you know something that we don't? Like, a, was it a coincidence or not? Because you pretty strongly suggested that it was. And she's, she kind of told me, like, look, I was covering the G7. I was driving back from Charlevoix and, and my editor is in my ear saying, everybody's talking about this groping allegation. How are you gonna talk about Justin Trudeau and the G7 without mentioning this groping allegation? It's in Breitbart. And so she had to figure out a way to get it in there. So this is like what I'm thinking about. It's just like, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. But something is happening here. We're we're losing a certain autonomy. We're losing autonomy to decide for ourselves what's important to tell our own stories. It's just bleeding. in. it's not just about the media. It's not just about the news. The line between what is happening in the States and in the world and us is just being destroyed. When the dust settles from this, yes, the Canadian media will be a fraction of what it once was. But we will also wake up to the fact that we are completely, we're in it now. We're in it. We're in the carnival. The big, the big, rude, full-scale joke. Maybe we're in on the joke. Maybe the joke is on us. I don't know. But there is no meanwhile in Canada. Meanwhile in Canada, something better is happening. Meanwhile in Canada, something different is happening. Meanwhile in Canada, the same thing is happening. You don't get to live next door to Rome while the empire is falling and kind of do your own thing. We were doing our own thing with Justin Trudeau. We were very slowly clawing back from the hype of the campaign, from the hype of the global media's attention on our prime minister. We were slowly, fact by fact, story by story, clawing back some reality, some truth about this guy from the India trip, trying to detail what the truth is apart from what he campaigned on, apart from the selfies, and... It was starting to matter in the sense that people were coming to grips with the reality of this administration versus the image of it. And then, and then their guy calls our guy a name. Schoolyard fight, eclipses everything, erases everything. Trudeau's popularity, huge bump, all is forgiven. Optics, optics, optics. I am not a, a, a removed, dispassionate, disinterested observer of this. It is exciting for me as well. It's exciting to get all this attention from the Americans. I mentioned that I was approached by a bunch of magazines to write, like, policy takes on our trade war. I I, I am not the person you should be asking for analysis of of trade wars. But I did accept one media invitation because it was for a show about the media, which I feel much more comfortable speaking about, uh, and also because of which show it was. I was asked to speak with Bob Garfield the co-host of On the Media, which is a show that I greatly admire that does this kind of work, uh, media analysis and reporting better than anybody, and, and was a show that inspired me in part to create Canada Land. I couldn't say no to that. And they were generous enough to allow us to air the interview as well and provide the raw tape for us to air our own edit of it. Thank you to Leah Fetter and Katya Rogers and, and to Bob Garfield for that. So here it is. Here is the extended version of what you may have heard on On the Media, my conversation with Bob Garfield about All of this, in a way, we covered a lot of ground. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Melanie Romer-Noel, Jonathan Lavoie, Robert Lutner, Ramanan, Andrea Fraser-Winsby, Brandy Quaber, Ryan Osborne, and Matt Park. Hi, this is Matt from Guelph, Ontario. The reason I support Canada Land is that Canland's found a way to break out of the Toronto news bubble and find interesting stories from across the country to dig into and explore. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. And this episode is brought to you by Larb. Have you had Larb? Larb is delicious. I thought it was a Thai dish. It's actually uh, the national dish of Laos, I have learned today. Larb is like this uh, chopped meat and vegetable salad that, that you eat in these crispy lettuce wraps. Delicious. I'm speaking today of beef larb salad wraps with green rice and toasted peanuts. I do not cook Laotian food in my home. I have not done so before. With HelloFresh, you can start doing this. This is how I like to eat this time of year. It's such a fresh summer dish. And you can make it in 30 minutes or less. And they'll just send everything you need to your door. It is a lot healthier than takeout. It is nice to cook. It is nice to cook without having to do meal planning or to shop or to throw things out. So... What are you waiting for? Get your first HelloFresh box now. You'll get 50% off because you listen to this podcast. Go to hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand. This episode finally is brought to you by Sonos. They have a new smart speaker. It is the Sonos Beam. I want one. This is a smart, compact soundbar for your TV. It is compatible with Amazon Alexa for easy voice control. It delivers crystal clear, richly detailed sound when you watch movies, when you watch TV, play video games. You could play music, podcasts, whatever. I have two Sonos One speakers. The Sonos Beam is compatible, and then you've got speakers that you talk to and that talk to each other, and you can just move sound around your house wherever you want. Now you can watch TV and movies with the same crystal clear sound that you get from your Sonos One, and you can just send. You're going to go to the other room, get a snack, send the sound over to the kitchen. Don't miss a thing. Come back. The Internet of Things is is with us, people. It is here right now. Get your home wired and, and listen with good speakers because they are better than bad speakers. And everything sounds so wonderful from Sonos speakers. Pre-order your Sonos Beam now at Sonos.com. Start your home sound system today.
1: Hey, it's Bob Garfield. How are you? I'm okay. How are you doing, Bob? Splendid. Thank you. Um... So, uh, we have this kakamimi set up here in our studio where we're talking to you by Skype, and therefore we, our producers have no means of actually speaking to you because of our studio setup. So, I'm going to do the work that they ordinarily do and ask you, Jesse, to tell me what you had for breakfast. You must know as well as I do that journalists have terrible nutritional habits. How much coffee did you have? Uh, This morning, you probably get more tape. (laughs) And you know, as well as I do, that nobody gives a shit about anybody else's diet, but we do now have your voice on tape, and the levels are all good. Excellent. Yeah. Are you rolling? Yeah. Rolling over here. All right. Here we go. And I'm Bob Garfield. Canada, our rugged and even-keeled neighbor to the north. Progressive, peaceful, and too small to really much matter in the hurly-burly of global affairs. Until last week, when Canada apparently found its way into the axis of evil. In the midst of a public feud about trade tariffs and a fraught G7 summit, the president of the United States accused Canada of threatening our national security. And he personally attacked Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as a, quote, meek, mild and weak liar. Yes, Donald Trump called someone else a liar. Get your mind around that one. Meanwhile, the episode has suddenly reminded the U.S. press to the presence of a hostile power on our northern border and awakened a slumbering, frosty nation in defense of its reputation. Jesse Brown is a Canadian journalist and the host of the Canada Land podcast. Jesse, welcome to OTM. Bob Garfield, how are you? Splendid. Thank you. Okay, so it started with a tariff imposed by Trump on Canadian steel and aluminum, which apparently was a uh, tit-for-tat reaction to Canadian tariffs on American dairy products, right? This is so,
0: and it pains me to say it, but... Canadian tariffs on dairy products,
1: probably not a great thing. And Trudeau was even signaling that he had some flexibility there. Because it is kind of naked protectionism on Canada's part uh, in in support of its domestic dairy industry, which not only blocks American exports, but makes the cost of milk for Canadians uh, unusually high, right? I
0: never thought I would be speaking with an American about supply chain management which is a uh, obsessive preoccupation here in Canada but yes we have this absurd scheme here really that it has a minuscule effect on on Americans and even on American farmers but Canadian consumers pay much more than they should for for milk and cheese because of this protectionist measure and it's it's been something that I think the
1: trend has been moving towards you know eventually doing something about until this happened. And I guess we should note that it's not as though that this protection regime is supporting the mom and pop farmers, but it's agribusiness that is the principal beneficiary of th- these kind of uh, trade policies. So Trump necessarily wasn't necessarily wrong, although on our side, actually, we offer similar protection to big sour cream. But the president didn't frame this as retaliation for protecting your dairy industry. He framed it As a national security issue, as if you had like five armored divisions poised on the borders of, uh, you know, Washington, Minnesota and Maine. What was the reaction there when he characterized Canada as a national security threat to the United States? Uh, You'd have to speak to somebody else who could understand Trump's logic in this, um, but... Well, perhaps I can help, Jesse. Uh, The logic is that the president doesn't have uh, much unilateral ability to impose tariffs unless he invokes national security. So uh, if he wanted to punish Canada on dairy, this was his uh, legal means of so doing.
0: That sounds right to me. And uh, I mean, this is all insane. Whatever the discontents are with supply chain management, the uh, economic relationship, the trade relationship between these two countries, it has a a very small effect on uh, whatever symbolic value farmers have to launch us into a trade war that, that, you know, who knows how far this could go. This could go to recession, depression. He's playing with, if if you believe our
1: uh, minister, Christian Freeland, uh, with the order of the world itself as it has existed since World War II. And in terms of domestic Canadian politics, politics has also had some unintended consequences, which is sort of to buoy the political fortunes of Justin Trudeau, who had, you know, who had faced some uh, reputational problems of his own with the Canadian electorate before Trump called him out. You know Where was Trudeau in the public's view before and and, and what has happened as a consequence of this skirmish?
0: Uh, he was at the low watermark of his popularity, and this was a gift from the heavens uh, for Justin Trudeau and uh, his support and electoral chances, following a disastrous trip to India in which uh, he made something of a jackass of himself with <laughs> frequent costume changes, but more more seriously imperiling our relationship with India in allowing a uh, would-be assassin and convicted criminal. Uh, this we, we could go down a rabbit hole of Kalistani, Sikh Canadian politics, but there, there was uh, an affront to the uh, government of India that made... Trudeau's uh, prime minister's office looked like a bunch of amateurs, and then this happened, and everyone has just fallen into line completely, to the extent that not only has our own Canadian off-brand version of Donald Trump, uh, Doug Ford, who was just elected the premier of Ontario, a conservative politician who has come into line in support of uh, Justin Trudeau, as has Andrew Scheer, who's running the Conservative Party, and to the, to the point where he's kicked out of his shadow uh, uh, cabinet, uh, Maxime Bernier, who is an opponent of supply chain management. So it is now... So forbidden to want to take down these dairy protections that you you can't even be on the team of of Justin Trudeau's opponents if you stand for that anymore.
1: Okay. So that was a very good answer to my question. However, for my audience, it was so kind of in the weeds of Canadian policy and politics that I am going to start over on this line of questioning. Please forgive me. Um, Trudeau's reputation uh, had really been uh, waning until this episode, and I, I guess the the beginning of what appeared to be the end of his uh, his domestic popularity was this trip to India, where among other things, he and his family dressed up in. Uh, traditional Indian clothing at a visit to a Sikh temple and looked as if they'd been costumed by the designers of the It's a Small World ride at Disney World. Uh, And the reaction to that was, uh, was not good.
0: But then this came, and it's completely recast everything to the point where this is uh, being talked about, even by, you know, columnists who are frequent crit- critics of Justin Trudeau as the moment where he became sort of this elder statesman and found his voice as a, as, as a leader. Uh, so this, this was definitely a gift
1: from from Donald Trump to Justin Trudeau. Yeah, it's kind of like they say about Elvis Presley, that death was a great career move. Being in the target of Donald Trump's ad hominem was kind of a magical event. You might say a clemency for Justin Trudeau in the Court of Canadian Public Opinion. Now, why is that? I mean, for starters, it doesn't change his previous buffoonery, if that's a fair description of his episode in India. And it doesn't change the fact that Canadians' protectionism really is an issue. It just seems to be that the public has circled its wagons around him in the face of foreign criticism. That's absolutely accurate. To Canadians, whatever our
0: domestic issues are, everything gets overshadowed by our relationship with America. And if there is an opportunity to stand up to America, to look like you are not going to take any any guff from this president, it it, it sort of becomes, you know, no pun intended, it trumps everything else. Your listeners should know, the version of this story... And the way the media is portraying Justin Trudeau, in the United States is very different than uh, the reaction here in Canada. Of course, we get both because we consume your media as much or more uh, than we do our own. But when I look at what your late night uh, comedians are saying about Justin Trudeau, or if I read Adam Gopnik waxing on in The New Yorker and, and strapping on his, his hockey skates to be conveniently Canadian, or any of the other coverage, he's striking the pose of the super nice guy, the dreamy boyfriend. Like, would you really pick a fight with this guy? In his appearance on Meet the Press, uh, where Chuck Todd uh, even said to him, you sound like we've hurt your feelings. You, like you sound jilted. How could you hurt nice Canada and this nice boy Justin? Is the, <laughs> the 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 story that's being told in the states? And how could Trump do this? And what a bully! Here in Canada, it's a much more tough guy narrative that that uh, we sort of dust off these uh, horrid narratives of LBJ grabbing uh, Lester Pearson, former Prime Minister Lester Pearson, by the lapels when he dared to speak out against the Vietnam War, or or Nixon calling uh, Pierre Trudeau, the first uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, an asshole, and and Pierre Trudeau uh with the bomb of, uh, I've been called worse things by better people. We love nothing more than instances where our uh, civilized and sophisticated prime ministers take a stand against American thuggery. So that, that has eclipsed all else.
1: But of course, a- as you say here, Trudeau has been seen as sort of the great smart hope, a political leader who actually knows things in addition to being unusually attractive. He is an unusually attractive gentleman. And so the, hence, his matinee idol status here. Perhaps we are less aware of his gaffes and and errors and inconsistencies. The media here are, are just way too busy c- comparing him to our president. How does this all shake out? Does this event clarify Trudeau's Trudeauness for Canadians and Americans both? No, it's just muddled the issue completely. I mean, you,
0: you bring it up uh, very well. Trudeau has very effectively position himself as sort of uh, the anti-Trump and Canada's answer to Trump. Of course, that's not true. We elected Trudeau before you elected Trump. He was Canada's answer, uh, our copycat answer to Obama. Our answer to Trump, we do things, the same things you do a few years later. Our answer to Trump is Doug Ford, who's just elected Premier of Ontario, um, who's very much ran a Trumpian campaign. So, uh, you know, your your president has a bully's instinct for weakness. And picking on the fact that Justin Trudeau has a couple of different versions of himself that he peddles is an accurate criticism of our prime minister. Can those two visions be consistent, I, I don't think so. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about something that happened uh, as we came into this uh, m- much larger media scrutiny uh, w- with this uh, this conflict. Uh, a story that had been peddled to Canadian media about an 18-year-old allegation of, of a groping, that of, of Justin Trudeau uh, uh, was quoted as apologizing to a reporter 18 years ago. and was a very young man at a music festival in British Columbia. The Canadian media turned up their nose at the story. It was too thin, too old. We don't know what happened. Uh, but of course, Breitbart ran it. Uh, After it showed up on Twitter and then it was a hop skip and a jump to the New York Times And so now we have this Canadian media sphere that won't even touch stories like that But anyone can get that news and 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 not necessarily the most factual or responsible versions of it through through American media Essentially we have been given a ticket to your circus
1: and it's not refundable (laughs) We should end it there uh, because it's such a great line however or I I must proceed the uh, before this whole tariff in G7 episode. Trudeau's reputation wasn't damaged for no reason. It, he was the victim of his own acts of omission and commission. And now yes, the public is rallying around him. but do you believe that the the press, which have been, you know, the channels for all the the damning information about your prime minister has softened up on him as a matter of, I don't know, patriotism, national pride? Without question, all of the criticism uh, has, has evaporated and, and uh, Canada has
0: sort of fallen into line behind its prime minister. And while I've characterized this as a great gift to Trudeau in terms of his image and, and his party's chances, this is not a good thing. And it doesn't really matter if we win in the court of popular opinion, Uh, with with, the American media or American comedians who think, why is Donald Trump picking on poor, nice Canada? And it doesn't really matter necessarily if our media and and even Justin Trudeau's uh, political opponents rally behind him here. The fact is, we are powerless in this. You know, we we, we don't have a lot of sway in these negotiations. And we keep saying that you are as dependent on us in terms of trade as we are on you. You're very dependent on us, but not as dependent as we are on you. And uh, I'm not sure that uh, Christopher Freeland going on CNN and saying, seriously, America, why are you picking on us? Or or Justin Trudeau going on Meet the Press. I think they're trying to take the fight to Donald Trump where he cares about it on American uh, televised news. I don't know that that will work. I don't know that it changes anything in the dynamic. And I, and I fear that a lot of this may have been that we have m- merely been pawns in, in, in a bigger game. The fact that Donald Trump
1: picked this fight with Justin Trudeau on his way to North Korea perhaps was no accident. You know, there used to be a principle governing American politics that disagreement ends at the water's edge and that we can fight uh, internationally as much as we want. But the moment we're dealing with foreign adversaries, real or perceived, that we're supposed to speak as one, Republican and Democrat as one. And that has more or less disappeared over the last four or five years, that principle. And that has been much bemoaned here. But as I see that same phenomenon taking hold in Canada, you know, I wonder if it was ever really the smart thing to begin with. Why should criticism from a foreign leader give you a get-out-of-jail-free for your own political conduct?
0: I think that's an interesting point, and I and I uh, I think that one thing to consider is it certainly incentivizes getting into a foreign fight as a nice way out of uh, of domestic uh, trouble for politicians, which is a very dangerous thing. Kind of a wag the dog, exactly. Sadly, Canada isn't as partisan as it as it should be. I think that we should probably like the, the idea that we should uh, abandon our own internal debate about. Dairy subsidies, supply chain management, to the extent that even in the Conservative Party they've kicked out of their shadow cabinet somebody who who uh, you know isn't uh, uh, in line with their opposition's position on this. Now we we sort of abandon our own meaningful internal debates because we're united against a common foe. That foe being
1: America. This is it. Really is just a a surreal circumstance to find ourselves in. Now we are, as previously discussed, so enamored of Trudeau's looks and his ability to. Site, you know, facts, (laughs) that last August he was uh, on the cover of Rolling Stone, and the caption was, why can't he be our president? And my question for you is, why shouldn't he be our president? What would we be getting if we got Justin Trudeau?
0: (laughs) I don't even know. You know what would you be getting I, I think it's uh, it's clear that you'd be getting somebody who is what he needs to be when he needs to be it. Uh, Justin Trudeau uh, ran on an environmentalist uh, platform he's since bought a pipeline he ran on a platform of reconciliation with First Nations with indigenous people of Canada uh, many of them oppose this pipeline and are still waiting for drinking water in their uh, clean drinking water in their communities there's a lot of dissatisfaction with this Prime Minister the problem as we keep touching on is that we abandon all of these uh, serious domestic concerns uh, as soon as this all-important relationship is threatened um,
1: trying to figure out a way out of this conversation which is a, a statement i've just made that sounds worse than it means i don't mean i'm trying to, <laughs> I, I take no offense we need a good out point uh how about um i'm just going to try this like um you know we, we did the introduction with all of the tired old uh, Canada tropes. So since we began that way, I suppose I should end end with some surprise that this whole episode didn't end in the most classically Canadian fashion. What would that be? That is Justin Trudeau tweeting to the president, "Sorry." All right. Yeah, that didn't work. As you did not laugh uproariously, uh, I guess we'll have to have to go in a different direction. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a different direction. How about? Um, yeah. So what happens here? I mean, you probably know far more about American politics uh, than I know about Canadian politics, but. Uh, what will be the end game be in this trade war, such that it is, and in the and in the feud between these two national leaders?
0: Wow, I mean, your your guesses is, is uh, th- we're off. The, the map here and I say this not, I mean I, I can speak more authoritatively about media than about uh, trade relations but I think even an expert in that would have trouble predicting what comes next I can tell you what people are hoping for which is that uh, we found ourselves in Trump's crosshairs because uh, either due to a fit of peak or it was advantageous to him in the moment and he'll move on to other things and perhaps uh, I know that our officials are lobbying hard with everybody else they can f- they can talk to in the states uh, to, to find a solution to this and as long as we can give a, a face-saving way for uh, the Trump administration to get out of this. Perhaps we can we can salvage the vast majority of our trade relationship with you. But historically, uh, w- you know, this is a, an incredibly reckless gambit on Trump's part, and and this is playing with fire. It's playing with with the the, the economies, certainly of Canada, but also of America. And could this end in recession? Could this end in d- depression? It, like it's, it's not without historical precedent.
1: All right, Jesse, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Jesse Brown is a Canadian journalist and host of the podcast, Canada Land. Give me five seconds of nothing, please, Jesse. Listen, thanks a lot. I really appreciate this. Uh, it, It was fun to talk to you. Thank you, Bob. Later, Gator. Later, Gator?
0: That is your Canada Land show. I hope you enjoyed it. Email me, if you will, at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read every email that you send me. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com, where we post original stories, and we have hundreds of free podcasts for you to check out. This week, check out the season finale of Canada Land Commons. It is going to be a great episode of Commons. And tickets are going very fast for the Imposters season finale performance. This is the culmination of Aaliyah Pabani's year-long effort to learn how to do comedy and make people laugh. She's going to get on stage and she's going to do a set. And before she does, other comedians are going to make you laugh. It is June 23rd in toronto at second city just go to eventbrite and search for the imposter and you will find tickets for this june 23rd the imposter live our crowdfunding site is patreon.com canadaland our managing editor is kevin sexton syndication is by cfuv 101.9 fm in victoria visit them online at cfuv.ca and if you like what we do please support us on patreon